Welcome to episode six of the Teach Computing podcast, the series that focuses on teaching and learning in the classroom. I'm your host, James Robinson, and this month we're going to be talking about progression in computing. And as part of the work of the National Centre, there's a team here at Raspberry Pi working on on, on what progression looks like as they produce content for the National Centre. So I'm, I'm going to sit down with that team today and have a chat about progression and a particular idea that they're using called learning graphs. So during this episode, I'm going to be talking to that team. I'm also going to talk to Oliver Quinlan from the Raspberry Pi Foundation about an upcoming research symposium uh, focused on computing teachers and researchers. So I'm here with Carrie Ann, um, who I work with at the Raspberry Pi Foundation. Um, uh, we are both very passionate about tea, and I regularly have to make tea for her. Um, but there's lots of other. There's, there's more sort of work-related work-related things we should yes. probably talk about. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So what is it that you do here at the foundation, and what's your connection to the work of the National Centre? So I'm director of educator support here at the Raspberry Pi Foundation. I've been here for about six years, so you know I've, I've been through a lot of. Uh, job title changes, let's put it that way. So what I really focus on at the moment is teaching and learning and focusing on teaching and learning in formal education very much. So uh, the bulk of my work right now is on generating resources for the National Centre for Computing Education, uh, but I'm also responsible for Hello World, which is our free magazine for educators. Good plug there. Yeah, if you haven't subscribed, do subscribe. It's completely free and it's amazing, and you should also write for it. Um, And we also think about training for teachers, um, particularly online training. Mm -hmm. So we write a lot of online training courses for primary and secondary teachers. So uh, in a nutshell, that's what I do. <laughs> so I thought we'd, we'd talk a little bit about um, just some of the things that we've been thinking about a lot uh, at the Raspberry Pi Foundation within the work of the National Centre. What's been kind of preoccupying you at the moment in the work you're doing? That's a great question. So mostly the last week or so, I've done this real deep dive into how we are approaching progression And for us, that's really in the context of the resources that we're writing as part of the National Centre. But it comes up as a topic time and time again with computing. We see it all the time. And if you look at other subjects like mathematics or, you know, science, engineering, physics, all these subjects that have been around for years and years and years and years, they have um, real researched and evidence-based progression that they can kind of draw on. Um, in order to then uh, structure your curriculum that you're going to teach. And what struck me, really, is that in computing, we just don't have that. I mean, do you, do you, do you think that's true? Yeah, no, I would agree. I think, I think and, uh, even where there, there are some bits of understanding about what, you know, what we might do first and, 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 and what might follow that, I think the last few years in, in the school sort of context, we've been focusing a lot on what we should be teaching and making sure that teachers are able to to teach and deliver that content to their students. And now that we're kind of, we're starting to see more teachers taking it on and becoming more confident, now is a really good time to step back and think about, okay, what's the sequence? What's the order? What are the dependencies within the subject that we need to address to make sure that the learning is as as effective as possible? So what have you been thinking about in terms of different approaches to progression? What, What are the ways that we could be thinking about progression within computing? And typically, I think what we see and what we've seen in the past, if you look at, you know, computing at schools, progression pathways, um, you look at uh, Rising Stars framework, or even the Massachusetts um, document they have for computer science progression, it's like a framework. They're all very table-based categorizations of concepts. Mm -hmm. So if you are in this particular key stage or age group, you might teach this 
set of things. Mm -hmm. um, but what is missing from that um, is the flow or the order and the sequence of which you would teach these things. They're sort of more categorised. That flow isn't really there. So something we've been exploring here is this idea. We call them learning graphs, but really it's based on this uh, idea around concept mapping or learning trajectories. We've read a lot of papers along these two lines um, where you take your concepts or you know, the, these big things that you might teach, these topic areas, um, and you, or you might call them objectives, even these chunks of knowledge, and they become sort of nodes. Mm -hmm. And then what you do with these nodes is you think about how do they connect to each other? And uh, by doing this as a teacher, it really helps you think about well, how do children learn? What order do they learn in? But also, how do I check that they know they've learned this piece of knowledge? Mm -hmm. uh, and by drawing it out in this sort of map style, you know, with nodes and arrows and connected lines, it really helps you understand the flow of learning. You can do it at a, a micro level. And you can do it at a macro level as mm. well. And it really helps you think, structure your lessons, really think about learning, have really deep conversations with people about well, what order do these things go in. Um, but what I found truly, truly useful is, especially following on from work that Craig Barton has done around assessment for learning, mm. is by doing this, you can really think, well, this is a, a key prerequisite piece of knowledge and unless a student really fundamentally understands that piece of knowledge, um, they can't access the stuff that's coming later. So how do I check and assess that they've definitely grasped that? And if actually most of the students haven't grasped that concept, then rather than moving on to the next lesson, maybe I need to look at how I am teaching it. I need to look at my pedagogy. Mm -hmm. Am I teaching this in the right way so that students understand it? And I think with other progression frameworks, they don't really provide you with the opportunity to do that. Whereas I think this approach, these learning graphs, um, these concept maps, learning trajectories uh, are a really great way of doing that. Those sort of like fundamental or key kind of nodes within that path, I think, you know, they're they're often called like um, waypoints. Yeah, so waypoints. So like um, yeah, so there's there's uh, there's waypoints within the learning, and then you've also got um, the maybe threshold concepts is another yes. name for them. Yeah. Um, and so you've got these this this these sort of key moments in learning, and what I find really fascinating is that you can capture through them the some of the definitive and you know, definite connections between two concepts. Like you need to know this before you know this, but that there are multiple routes through that graph. So there are lots of ways you could teach this content, but the 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 arrows and the links between the nodes help you understand the the possible routes through the context, through the concept, so that you're Progression teaching. is so uh, subjective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's so subjective. It's one of the topics that we talk about the most um, within the academic board of, uh, of the National Centre and the teaching learning committees. We talk about it all the time. It comes up all the time because it is so subjective. And I think what we're doing with the, the resources uh, is we're providing this progression, these learning graphs for every unit. But what we're saying is you can teach it this way. We've put a lot of thought into how we would teach it this way and we've, we've structured the lesson so you teach it in this order. However, if it doesn't work for you, take that learning graph and, and change it so it works for you. Mm -hmm. And then let us know because that's really, really useful. And really the power should be with the teacher 
Um, everything we do should equip teachers to feel confident to be able to, to change things and adapt them to make them more useful for themselves so they can achieve the best outcomes for their students. What the team have found is that they are, these tools, these learning graphs are so useful that they're doing those way before they start thinking about individual lessons. That really underpins the work they're doing. And then what you're saying about sharing those learning graphs, it's in part us justifying our progression and saying this is how we thought the lesson should be sequenced but then also providing that as a tool for teachers to to reimagine and change that content and the sequence themselves that's exactly right? it that's right. exactly it and it might be new for a lot of teachers this approach it might be a new thing but um you know we, we are building on work of other people uh, you know this is not a revolutionary thing that we've come up with here i wish it was but it's not you know uh, we're very fortunate to um have worked a little bit with Cambridge Math Mathematics, who mm -hmm. are based over at Cambridge Assessment, um, and they are building this fantastic uh, mathematics framework, which has nodes and connections, and, and theirs is much more detailed. It has different layers of abstraction on it. You can zoom in. They've got a specialised tool that enables you to be able to use it. You know, we're nowhere near that sort of detail. Um, and they've been working on that for four years. With, with hundreds of years of mathematics yeah. <laughs> uh, education behind it. Uh, we've been doing this for a year. And uh, so so we're definitely on a journey. And, and what we're publishing is never a finished article. People should take a look at it, look at it now in its, its state now, try it out, iterate, you know, and we will continue to do the same. And, and, and tell us, like, you know, feedback. I think one of the, the sort of differences about our approach is that it's slightly more sort of bottom-up, it's focused on practice and experience of teachers rather than exclusively from research. And so it's really important we get that feedback from our teachers. Um, I think also to say that it is, we, we had a go at this recently to, to write, we've got some uh, wider team members to write some uh, learning graphs and people find it quite hard. It is quite a difficult thing to do. It takes a lot of thought. And I think what we're hoping that we're able to do is to do that thinking to invest that time and actually take some of that workload and pressure and thinking time away from teachers and free them up to actually kind of get on with the job of, of doing the teaching in the classroom, right? That's exactly, yeah. Cool. So um, I think what we, what, we, what we went and did is we went and had a chat with some of your team members, uh, but from both primary and secondary, just to kind of explore in a bit more detail about how they are using learning graphs in their planning. Thank you very much, Carrie Anne. That was really uh, enlightening and, uh, and I'll, I'll look forward to interviewing you again on the podcast. Thank you. So I jumped on a video call with um, some colleagues from the Raspberry Pi Foundation to talk about learning graphs. So today I'm talking to Ben. Yeah, I'm Ben Garside and I'm working on the secondary resources for the resource repository. Ben. Hi, uh, yeah, I'm Ben Hall. I'm also working on the primary resources. Also with us is George. Hi, I'm George and I'm a learning manager. I write resources for secondary. And online is Andy. Hi, I'm Andy Bush. I'm working on the primary resources for the, uh, the learning team at Raspberry Pi. And so you're all working on the resource repository. We're having this sort of conversation remotely. Um, so you're all kind of spread all over the country. You're working on the resource repository. And we've had to think a lot about progression um, over the last 18 months or so. And um, I think where we kind of settled uh, is this idea of a learning graph. We're using learning graphs as the basis for the content that we produce. So George, could you talk very briefly just about what a learning graph is and how teachers might use it? In general, a graph comprises uh, nodes and link between the nodes. Uh, just think of rectangles or circles with arrows connecting some of them. In a learning graph, the nodes stand for learning waypoints. Uh, depending on the level of abstraction, the waypoints could be knowledge, skills, learning objectives. Uh, there's a link between two waypoints if learners need to reach one before they reach the other. 
if one is a prerequisite for the other. So you can visualize a learning graph like an interconnected network that is visually illustrating a learning journey or better possible learning journeys. So it's a visual representation of the concepts and the skills and the connections between them. Um, and it specifically identifies things like dependencies. Um, or we could think about it as a map of concepts and potential routes through them. Are learning graphs a new idea? Not really. If you look at the work done around learning trajectories or learning progressions, especially in mathematics, you will find that the core ideas are very similar. I would say there are two main differences. First of all, learning trajectories or progressions are deeply rooted in research and evidence. In computing, we simply don't have the breadth and depth of research and evidence at this point, but we need to start somewhere. So, our starting point for identifying the waypoints and connections in our graphs is mainly empirical. Another difference is how closely our graphs are linked to classroom practice. Our learning graphs are not theoretical constructs that could be used to inform curriculum design. We build them because we need a practical, structured way to plan our units and to design our lessons. We provide actual lessons that are based on our learning graphs and teachers can use our learning graphs to understand the reasoning behind our lessons or even plan their own. So they're a tool that any educator could use to explore and visualize a set of concepts and a means for us to communicate how we're thinking about progression within a particular area. Um, and what you're saying, George, is that whilst they're mainly empirical and based upon experience, I assume that where research exists, we are using that too. And all four of you are part of a bigger team working on resources for the National Centre's resource repository. Um, ben, you're working on the secondary content, right? Yeah, that's right. So in the secondary team, we're writing units of work that will cover the full computing curriculum from key stage three to key stage four. And within that, every unit of work that we provide will include lesson plans, slide decks, activity worksheets, homeworks, and of course, every unit will come with a learning graph. Um, so we found that learning graphs um, to be, I think it's fair to say, an essential part to our planning. If, the reason I say that is because if I was to think back before I worked for the National Centre, uh, planning a unit of work would involve thinking about what do I want to teach, what do I want the learners to know by the end of the unit, and then thinking about the objectives and mapping out what felt like a sensible order of lessons to be able to achieve that end goal. Um, but since working for the National Centre, I'd already planned um, a, a, an overview, a, a unit of work, um, in that way and then we looked at learning graphs and when I actually took my objectives and put them into a learning graph I realized that the the order was slightly different in the learning graph to how it was reflected in the the overview there were some things um, there were some key knowledge dates that the learners needed to be able to understand that were taking place far too late in the sequence of lessons so I suppose a good example where we found it really helpful um, is when we were planning our year seven programming units I mean, we could debate endlessly about whether or not we should teach selection before iteration or vice versa. And to be honest, we did. Um, but one of the um, key things we worked out when we planned our, our learning graph was that actually what was really important is that learners were able to understand conditions, expressions and operators. Those were the key things that the, the knowledge states, if you will, um, of things that they need to understand before they're able to even access selection or iteration. So the order in which we teach selection or iteration is far less important than them actually being able to understand conditions, expressions and operators before they're able to access those two things. OK, and so I think you, what you're saying there is that I think the, the, the sequencing of some of the bigger topics is is less important than perhaps understanding 
some of the dependencies that learners will need in order to access those knowledge states. So it's being able to kind of identify the, the key concepts within a particular unit of work and, and begin with the dependent concepts before building upon them. And, and, and Ben and, and um, Andy, you're, you're working on the primary content. What's been your experiences of working with the learning graphs and is there any difference between how you've implemented them and the secondary team, for example? Uh, ben, how about you? Yeah, so uh, there are some differences. I think for us as the primary team, one of the major benefits of this approach is that we can map and check progression. And that's uh, in a wider sense as well. So we, we have to be very mindful of what's going on in the rest of the curriculum. Uh, example of that is we recently we were looking at a year one learning graph that we produced and we saw we saw the word graph within the learning graph. And it kind of stood out as not being quite right. And that was because uh, in the maths curriculum, uh, graphing doesn't come in until year three. So it's just a nice visual way of being able to identify where we got the progression slightly wrong and where it didn't fit in with the wider curriculum. Where we differ a little bit to secondary is that um, our approach is more of a spiral curriculum. So we've got the same theme in, uh, we've got the same six themes for all year groups. So we're, we're doing the same six units and they spiral throughout the six year groups. So each year we introduce new concepts but we also revisit and consolidate learning that's already happened. And using the learning graphs has made it really, it's been really helpful to help us track those themes through the year groups, because otherwise it can get quite um, difficult to follow. Uh, so for example, we in, uh, introduced working with text in year one in our creating media unit, and then we revisit it with desktop publishing in year three, and then a web page unit in year six. So it's spiraling throughout the six years. And the learning graphs have really helped us track that process and ensure we've got uh, balanced coverage across all the year groups. And then I guess eventually you're going to have not only progression within units, but a, a sense of progression across a phase of, of learning as well. Yeah, and we, we've started to kind of look at that, particularly in the creating media um, units. We, we um, did sort of a vertical progression map, looking at where we're introducing text-based stuff, where we're doing graphics-based stuff, video, audio, all that kind of thing. So um, we've got some sense of that already, but that's work in progress. Um, another difference between us and secondary is that we're probably more likely to be designing resources for non-specialist teachers, some of whom will be subject leaders in primary schools. Um, we hope the learning graph should be a great help um, for them to plan their whole school computing curriculum. Mm -hmm. That's really useful. Um, and Andy, what about what about yourself? What's your experience been? Um, yeah, my experience has been that the whole process of creating the uh, learning graphs has been useful in terms of the work we do after that, the, the writing of lessons, the units of work. The creations allowed us to move waypoints around and develop a progression and consider how uh, things connect and the flow of learning. So that in itself has been interesting. We then use the progression that we've done with the learning graph to develop learning objectives and success criteria for lessons. We know we may not get it right 100% of the time, first time, but they provide a strong steer for next steps in the writing process. Occasionally, we go back to the first draft of our learning graphs and tweak and reorder bits uh, and move waypoints around uh, to suit uh, where we've reconsidered things. We found that educators who are writing or in the process of writing their own resources are really interested in the learning graphs that we've done. The graphs provide them with a good visual overview. Uh, in the primary team, the process we use to create learning graphs has continued to evolve. We've looked at different ways of highlighting themes within graphs and also ways of identifying progression between learning graphs. And that kind of echoes to what Ben was saying a moment ago about that sort of that over a sort of a phase of education, what the progression might look like and so on. 
Adding to what Andy said, I'd say evolution or refinement of the graphs is a very important theme. Many research papers emphasize how iterative the process is and that there is no perfect or final graph. That's yeah, I think that's really important that the sort of the iterative nature of these. We you know we know that you're building the learning graphs based upon your experience and your understanding of how learning works in the classroom as opposed to a top-down approach. And as we develop the resource, I guess we're going to be learning from other educators what works for them and incorporating that into the learning graphs. So I think that's a really nice overview of how we create and we use the learning graphs to really underpin the content that you guys are writing. Um, and we're sharing those learning graphs as part of our resources. What is it that we want educators to do with those graphs? Um, ben, first of all. Um, so they're really for educators to use in whichever way they see fit. So uh, all the NCT resources that we're publishing are published under something called an open government license. And that's the, the, the most open and free uh, publishing license. And you can basically f freely share and modify it as you see fit. So I hope they help educators plan progression across all areas of computing. And I hope they're a prompt for discussions around how the curriculum can develop in the future. And, and um, Ben Garza, do you have something to add to that, I think? Yeah, I think um, Ben and Andy have already used, this, used the word useful. Um, I, I guess that we just hope that people will find them as a, a useful resource as part of the broader package of resources that come with each NCC unit. Uh, because, you know, they very much represent the journey that learners will take throughout the unit. Um, and this should help anybody looking, you know, look at them, help them to understand how the learners get from the start of the unit and to the end of the unit and what are the key objectives they must understand before moving on. Um, I suppose also what we want to do is model what we believe is good practice. Um, I hope that other educators looking at our learning graphs will also think that these are good practice um, and they think it's a good idea. So whether or not they're using their own resources or planning their own unit of work, we hope that maybe we're modelling something that they could apply when they're developing their own schemes of work. Yeah, and I think that's, that's really important for maybe listeners in other parts of the world whose curriculums are structured differently, who might have other content in there kind of in, in, in what they're focusing on. I think that's a really, we, we found them a really good tool and I think we should, we, we're sort of recommending their use for other people. Um, and are there any other benefits um, or potential benefits to teachers um, or their learners that we can see? Uh, and again, Ben Garson, I'm going to come to you on that one. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they're definitely something that can be shown to others. Um, and what I mean by that is anybody at school, any stakeholder that, um, that might want you to to prove how you plan for progression, whether or not that be subject leader, senior leadership, Ofsted, and they want to see how progression is planned. I think this is the document that you would show them. Uh, and I think what's quite satisfying from our perspective is that um, we're showing here that this isn't just something that we think this is a nice set of lessons that would work. We're actually mapping progression here. We're, we're, we're showing that there's a deeper thought behind all the units that we've, uh, that we've planned, uh, both in terms of how the learning fits together, but how we also expect the learners to progress. This may not be directly relevant, but my aspiration is that as teachers deliver the units, they will provide feedback that will help us refine these learning graphs to reflect learning waypoints in ways that are not linked to how the content is delivered. In other words, I would like to see these graphs reflect a deeper learning journey through computing concepts. I think that's a really valuable use of learning graphs. I mean, uh, Ben mentioned subject leaders, school leadership and Ofsted, but there might be other interested stakeholders, you know, communicating uh, progression or at least that there is progression underlying things to uh, parents and governors um, I think that's a really you know there's a really real value in being able to communicate some thinking there um, and so currently they're based on research where possible and our teams you know plus some wider experts expertise 
Um, but what you'd like to see happen is to incorporate a wider and more diverse set of experiences. Yes, for example, where we have a single node, a single waypoint, teachers might identify that their experience suggests that there might actually be intermediate waypoints in learners' understanding of a concept or development of a skill. So there could be additional research on that, and it might inform our activities or lesson design. And on the other end, research results could arise that might inform refinements of our graphs. A very concrete example is the block model, which we use to provide a very granular view of the steps learner could take when comprehending modularity and subprograms. Uh, research results could then further inform our curriculum, our assessment, and our lesson planning choices. And they also maybe direct our research or knowledge of misconceptions. And so might there be any value in, in the same progression being visible to students? Um, you know, it's maybe a bit early to say anything too much about that, but Ben, do you think there's, there's value for students? Um, I think you've hit um, on a good point there. I think we're going to have to learn from this a little bit to understand how they're used in schools. My first thought are, are that sorry, my first thought is that I suppose it depends when you're going to introduce that and who to. Um, I think in a lot of instances, I can very much see presenting a learning graph to students at the beginning of a unit and it being very much an overwhelming thing for them, um, looking at words and concepts and objectives that they have no clue because they've not studied it yet. Um, I could see um, an advantage at secondary, maybe at key stage four, maybe at the end of the unit where you're saying, right, okay, this is what we covered this lesson, and now we're going to have an assessment next week. It might help them understand maybe um, what they've learned and how that all mapped together, um, and maybe even a pathway to their revision on that. But I also think that should be used in conjunction with uh, other good practice things to help learners revise. Yeah, I guess things like concept maps, which don't necessarily have that, that progressional element and the students are developing their own or representing their own understanding of a series of concepts. Um, that's a really good tool for representing that. But yeah, I think there is some potential value, but I, think, I guess the answer is we don't really know yet on that one. Yeah, but we're, we're very much interested in finding out and it, we're really keen to get this feedback once it's out there, you know, in the world for people to say, we used it this way and we found this was really helpful. I think we would like to learn from that too. Um, and so if educators want to know more about learning graphs, how we use them and how they can use them, where should they go? There was an initial post on the NCC blog uh, back in the summer of 2019 that described how we had started using learning graphs to plan progression back then. We are now also working on a poster on learning graphs for the research symposium that will be organised by the Raspberry Pi Foundation in April 2020. And so tickets are now available for the symposium. Um, so educators can come and hear more about learning graphs, talk to you, provide some feedback. Well, thank you all so much for your time. I found hearing about learning graphs really interesting. I think their development and their application is, is you know, we found it really useful internally and we hope our listeners and, and educators in the wider context uh, appreciate the insight too. So in the conversation with the learning team there, George mentioned the upcoming research symposium being organised by the Raspberry Pi Foundation. Uh, we thought this was a great opportunity to share some details of that. So I had a chat with Oliver Quinlan from the foundation about the upcoming symposium, who it's for, what it's about and how people can get involved. So Oliver, we just mentioned the research symposium in the conversation with the learning team. Um, just say a bit more about when it's happening, who it's for uh, and why people might want to attend. Yeah, it's really exciting. It's the first event like this that we've done um, as the Raspberry Pi Foundation and we're working with um, Cambridge uh, University as well. Um, they're supporting us with this and um, it's an event to 
really share lots of the work that's going on in, in terms of computing education research. So we have a keynote from Dr. Natalie Rusk, who's from MIT Media Lab, and um, she leads a lot of the research around the Scratch um, programming language, mm -hmm. um, really focused on creativity and how we can um, help young people to be creative with technology, which is, is going to be really fantastic. And then we've opened up proposals to um, to anyone who wants to propose a, um, a talk or a poster session. So it's working like an academic conference, so people submit things, work that they've been doing, um, uh, reviews of uh, research that they've been doing, and then it goes through quite a rigorous sort of selection process and then uh, some of those will be talks, some people will be presenting their work as, as posters. Um, so it's it's going to be a really interesting event. It's very much focused on people who want to dig deep into research around computing education, particularly focused on school level. Mm -hmm. um, so that there will be lots of academics there, I'm sure, people whose um, whole work life is all about looking at computing education research. But there will be uh, educators too, people who are uh, perhaps studying um, if they're studying for masters, PhDs, those kind of things, they want to get involved. Um, you don't have to be studying for masters or PhD, but you probably need to ha want to have a, a, a deep interest in in research. And uh, it should be a really friendly group, and uh, we'll be sharing lots of of interesting things people are finding out. And so, um, for those that are interested in you know, amongst our listeners, when and where is the event taking place, and how do we get involved? Yeah, well, it's on the first of April, twenty twenty, and um, you can you can sign up to to get a ticket and take part. We've got a whole program which is on the website, which we'll we'll share a link with you. You can have that in the in yeah. the show notes for yeah. people to find, and. Um, uh, the, the keynote's on there, the content we'll be developing, we've just had uh, lots of great abstracts come in, we're reviewing them at the moment and we'll keep that up to date with, uh, with what's on there. But there's a link to the Eventbrite um, for, the, uh, for the event as well, you can sign up there and get involved. We're also going to have, as well as the actual one day symposium, we're going to have um, two workshops the day before. Um, which are going to be really interesting. One of them's um, I'm involved with uh, looking at gender balance in computing, mm -hmm. which is mm -hmm. a big part of our research with the, the National Centre. Um, that's lots of programmes going on there. And um, we've got another one which um, I believe you're working on, James. So yes. What does research in practice look like in, yeah. in the classroom? So this is, this is the bit that, that I kind of spend my time thinking about is how we take the ideas that are developing from uh, from the academic research and how we translate those into practical activities or communicate those ideas to teachers uh, you know the this podcast that we're speaking on is is one of those means by which we do that um so we want to talk a bit about um what we're doing in that space and and and, and the direction of travel so well, it sounds yeah. like a really exciting event I, i'm really looking forward to going along so thank you very much oliver um and uh, in fact, to play us out shortly, we're going to have your we're going to have your theme music, right? That, that you composed for the podcast, um, and uh, yeah. So thank you for that other contribution no as problem. well. Thanks. Great. Thank you, Oliver. Thank you very much to Oliver and all my guests in today's episode. We've uh, I've really enjoyed hearing about progression and the use of learning graphs to underpin uh, planning for progression. Um, we hope you enjoyed it too, and we're going to see you next month for our next episode of the Teach Computing podcast. Bye.